for a drive on the Beltway. I mean, I, I mean, I go there when I have to, but I don't do that on purpose. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Thank you, Donna. Thank you, Gary. Verses uh, 19 through 23. A message I've entitled, Living by the Spirit. Galatians 5, verses 19 to 23. Please stand with me out of honor to God and His Word as I read. Now, the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I've told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, generous, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. Thank you. May be seated. By way of introduction, uh, Paul marks here the difference uh, between the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. Now, we talked about the works of the flesh a couple weeks ago, but just to remind you, uh, verse 19 talks about sexual unfaithfulness. Verse 20 talks about spiritual unfaithfulness. Verses 20 and 21 talk about interpersonal unfaithfulness. And <coughs> also, verse 21, personal unfaithfulness. But notice what Paul says. He lists all these things, and then he says, and such like, in verse 21, and such like. In other words, this list of the works of the flesh is representative, not exhaustive. So he's not saying these are the only works of the flesh there are. He is saying this is a representative list of the works of the flesh. And so he gives us those, but then he details for us the fruit of the Spirit. Now I want you to notice here something I said also a few weeks ago, and that is the fruit is singular, not plural. So often I hear people talk about the fruits of the Spirit, and there certainly are things here, love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, faith. It seems like a lot of things, but the word fruit in Greek there is singular. There is a singular fruit. We do not display multiple fruits, but one fruit. The one fruit of the Spirit is multifaceted, kind of like a diamond. There are multiple works of the flesh. There is one fruit of the Spirit. Now, we will begin exhibiting this fruit of the Spirit immediately upon salvation. The moment you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, God's Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. And so when we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, He begins to produce fruit from the inside out. So you're not going to produce the fruit of the Spirit unless you're a believer, unless you've received Christ as Savior. Once you've received Him, God's Spirit is in you, and the fruit begins to be produced. We will exhibit this fruit more and more as we grow in God's grace. Now, the big word for this is sanctification. So as you grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, this process of sanctification, more fruit is produced. As believers today, we are to be demonstrating love. Here are the fruit of the Spirit, love. Now the word love that's used there is agape. So this is a sacrificial, unconditional love. Love no strings attached. And so as believers in Christ, we should be demonstrating love. We should be demonstrating joy. Now, there's a big difference between joy and happiness. Joy comes from the indwelling Holy Spirit. Happiness comes from what happens to us. You hear the word in happiness and happen? So if something good happens to you, you'll be happy. If something bad happens to you, you'll not be happy. And so happiness comes and goes, but joy is a permanent installation from the Holy Spirit. 
And so we will be demonstrating love, joy, peace. Peace. Perhaps one of the most famous passages in the Bible about peace is Philippians 4, 7, where the Apostle Paul says that uh, we need to have the peace of God that passes all understanding, guarding our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And so we are to demonstrate this fruit of the Spirit, peace, peace with God, peace with others. In fact, notice, talking about peace with others, look at verse 26. This is how Paul wraps up this passage about the works of the flesh, the works of the Spirit, or the fruit of the Spirit. He says, let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. So connected to this idea of not only being peace with God, but being at peace with others, he says, make sure you don't engage in vainglory. Make sure you're not conceited. Make sure you're not provoking others. Make sure you're not jealous of others. Why? Because all of these distort peace in our lives. When we think we're something that we're not, when we're provoking others to wrath or whatever the case might be, when we are jealous of other people, that doesn't bring peace. So as believers, we're to be demonstrating love, joy, peace, patience. The word patience really in Greek there means endurance. Keep it on, keep it on. Endurance. Gentleness. That word means kindness. Goodness. Goodness means generous. Faith, which is really faithfulness. Dependability. As believers, we should be somebody upon whom people can depend. When we say we're going to do it, we do it. We say we're not going to do it. We don't do it. You can count on our word. Also, we're supposed to be meek. And we're supposed to demonstrate self-control. So, as believers indwelt by the Holy Spirit, we are going to, He is going to produce fruit of the, the fruit of the Spirit from the inside out, which is this. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, self-control. God's Spirit lives within us he moved in at salvation Paul would write in 1 Corinthians 6 19 and 20 what don't you know your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you which you have of God and you're not your own for you're bought with a price therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which belong to God and so when he moved in sin began moving out and we are to be led by that spirit our challenge then is to reject the works of the flesh and encourage the fruit of the Spirit. So as you and I walk through our daily lives, uh, the title of this message is Living by the Spirit. Our challenge is to reject the works of the flesh. These things that Paul begins listing here in verse 19. Just remembering though, this is an, uh, an, a representative list, not an exhaustive list. But these kind of things, our challenge is to reject that in our lives and to encourage the fruit of the Spirit. So let's see what else Paul has to tell us here to help us live by the Spirit. The first thing I want to look at is the law. Look at verse 18. But if you be led of the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now God has given us His laws. And in particular, the Ten Commandments. You probably know about the Ten Commandments because you've seen the movie. Hopefully you've read the scriptures too. But the Ten Commandments were given to Moses on Mount Sinai. The first set of the Ten Commandments were written by the very finger of God and then broken by Moses. 
I guess you could say Moses is probably the only one in history to break all Ten Commandments in one time. The second set of Ten Commandments was dictated by God and written down by Moses. And that is the set that was kept in the Ark of the Covenant. Now the Ten Commandments, when you look at those, they're divided into two sections. The first four commandments have to do with our vertical relationship with God. Have no other gods before me, no graven images, don't take the name of the Lord in vain, and so on. The remaining six have to do with our horizontal relationships with each other. Don't kill, don't steal, don't lie, and so on. And so they have this very nice division, four and six. But later on in the New Testament, Jesus summed up the Ten Commandments with two commandments. You remember that guy comes to Jesus and says, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, you need to love God supremely and love your neighbor as yourself. But notice, of those two commandments that Jesus gave, they both are summed up in one word, love. We were talking about that tonight when you brought it up. Love. Love. Now, the law is very helpful to mankind. Whether you're talking about all the Old Testament law or just the Ten Commandments, the law is very helpful to mankind. Number one, it shows us our sinfulness. Without an objective, unchanging standard of expected behavior, people are left to determine right and wrong individually. And so what is right for me might be wrong for you. What is right for you might be wrong for me. This is what we have now. It's called moral relativism. So what works for you is good. If it doesn't work for me, then it's bad. There's no objective standard, but there is. It's called God's law and the Ten Commandments in particular. People may know that it's against the law to do certain things, but they don't know why. And so even our civil law code and our criminal law code says you can't steal and uh, you can't lie under oath and things like that. And so people know these things are wrong, but they don't know why. People don't know what is right and wrong today because God's standard of the Ten Commandments is being removed from our society. And it's been being removed for a long time. I remember one of the judges that uh, threw the Ten Commandments out in this one particular case. He said, we can't have these in public school because the kids might read them. I think the kids should read them. Like the stuff about don't kill. But people don't know what is right and wrong today. Because God's standard is being removed, in particular the Ten Commandments. This is why atheism, abortion, and adultery can flourish in our nation. People don't know. Because the standard's been removed. And so they're just left up to themselves to make up their own decision. Well, is it right for you? Is it wrong for you? How do you feel about it? How do I feel about it? You do your thing, I'll do my thing. The older generation can recall when public school required daily prayer and Bible reading. The former church where I served, the chairman of the deacons was also a, well, he was retired, but he was a high school principal. And he was mandated as a principal, a public school principal. He was mandated by the state of Pennsylvania every day. He had to come over the PA system. He had to read scripture and pray. State law. Not, oh, you're free to do it if you want to. State law, you must Pray, and you must read the scripture to these public school children. I wonder how many public school children that hurt. I bet it didn't hurt any of them, did it? 
They may not have believed. They may not have followed. But it did them a world of good. And it certainly didn't hurt them. However, with an objective, unchanging standard of expected behavior, people then know what is right and wrong. And we know that any violation of the standard is sin against the one who set the standard. And we also know that the punishment for sin is death. Romans 3.23 says uh, the wages of sin is death. That's 6.23 actually. I had it wrong in my notes. The Ten Commandments, the Old Testament law, but the Ten Commandments in particular provide a permanent record of God's standard. And so the law is very helpful to mankind because it shows us our sinfulness. Secondly, the law is very helpful to mankind because it shows us our need for a Savior. I don't know if you remember, but back when we were in chapter 3 of Galatians, look in verse 24 where Paul says, Therefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. And so when we read the law, the Ten Commandments in particular, and we, we can't read them without realizing we have failed, we have broken at least one, I'm sure all of them, particularly the way Jesus defined the Ten Commandments in the New Testament, with even our thoughts are sinful. It drives us to Christ. It's our schoolmaster. So the law is very helpful to mankind. It shows us our sinfulness. It shows us our need for a Savior. And we can learn that the one who set the standard has provided a Savior to keep the standard, to forgive those who violate the standard, and his name is Jesus Christ. But notice what Paul says in verse 18. Those who are led by the Spirit are no longer under the law. Back to verse 18. But if you're led of the Spirit, you're not under the law. And so we don't have to obey all that Old Testament stuff. We don't have to bring our lambs and rams and, and all of that. But it's still helpful. It still shows us our sinfulness. It still shows us our need for a Savior. But we're no longer responsible to keep the law. Because Christ has done it for us. And by the way, bearing the fruit of the Spirit does not violate any divine law either. Look in verse 23. He's wrapping up his fruit of the Spirit. Meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. So when you live by the Spirit and the Spirit is producing his fruit from the inside out, none of that fruit will ever violate God's law. In fact, it fulfills God's law. Listen to what James, Jesus' brother, has to say in James chapter 2 and verse 8. He says, if you fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. And so when we're led by the Spirit, and what's the number one facet of the fruit of the Spirit? Love. Love, joy, peace, patience. Love is listed first. It's primary. It's critical. And when we're led by the Spirit, and when the Spirit is producing love from the inside out, this fulfills God's law. And this also gives evidence that God's law has been written on our hearts. And so we see the law. But secondly, I want us to look at lusts. Look at what he says in verse 24. We are to crucify our sinful desires. It says, and they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. 
We are to crucify our sinful desires. Now Jesus paid for them with his crucifixion. We must remove them with ours. Paul wrote in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. I am crucified with Christ. Now temptation will always be present. So we have this lifelong process of overcoming the old nature and submitting to our new nature. But I think it's interesting that Paul here, in verse 24, he says, the old were crucified. They that are Christ have crucified the flesh. Nobody ever survived crucifixion. Nobody ever survived crucifixion, not even Jesus. This is why the disciples were so discouraged on Easter weekend. They had seen Jesus die by crucifixion, and nobody survived crucifixion, not even Jesus. As I said last week, Jesus didn't survive crucifixion. He defeated it. Let me go ahead and say it. He is risen. (laughs) I shouldn't do that to my voice. We are to crucify our flesh. We are to crucify the old man. But we don't. We don't. We reprimand it. We revile it. But we don't crucify it. Why? Because nobody survives crucifixion. And sadly, our old man is alive and well. And so we talk about crucifying the old man. We talk about crucifying the flesh. Paul talked about it. The talk is cheap. Nobody survives crucifixion. The old man would not survive crucifixion, but he does survive. Because we don't really crucify. Like I said, we reprimand him, we revile him, we don't crucify him as we should. So we see the law, we see lusts. And then lastly, I want us to look at living. Since we live in the Spirit, we should walk in the Spirit. Look in verse 25. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. And really the word if there would be judged or translated since, just like this morning. Since we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. What does that mean to walk in the Spirit? A couple weeks ago I talked about the the Greek literally means to walk around in the Spirit. But what this means is this is giving Him total control of our lives. Promoting righteous behavior, prohibiting sinful behavior, and permitting His fruit to show in us. It's not enough that our branches produce fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, self-control. It is not enough that our branches produce fruit. That fruit must mature. We need to be more loving. We need to be more joyful. We need to be more peaceful. We need to be more patient. We need to be more kind. We need to be more good. We need to be more faithful. We need to be more meek. We need to exhibit more self-control. Never be satisfied. I've got the Spirit in me. He's producing His fruit from the inside out. I loved somebody today. I was at peace today. That's good enough. There needs to be more. That's maturity. You know, it's easy at church to live spiritual. But tomorrow morning, you're going to be on your own once again. We're not going to be singing hymns. You're not going to be hearing a sermon. We're not going to be fellowshipping together. You're going to be on your own again tomorrow morning. But know this, the Spirit remains with you. Hebrews 13, 5, Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. 
And he doesn't just remain with you, he remains in you. Again, that passage, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Don't you know the Holy Spirit of God is within you? Though the Spirit is real, He's very real. I know we need something we can see and we need something we can touch. And that is why God has graciously given us His Word. And if you commit to reading His Word, His Word will remind you, His Word will refresh you, His Word will restore you. This is what you need. After late service today, I just hid out in my office. I didn't want to be spreading germs, so I went in there and figured people would leave me alone. <laughs> people came to see me, uh, and I don't care. I was just trying to protect everybody else. And this gentleman told me he came from another church. He said in that other church, the pastor would stand up, and he would say, well, I, I read this book this week, and his sermon would be all about this book that he read. He said, Brother Gary, what I like about you is you don't talk about some book that you read. You talk about the book, the Word of God. This is what you and I need. Now, we have the Spirit, but again, you can't see Him, you know. And I know sometimes it's good to have something you can see, something you can touch, something you can feel. This is something you can feel. You can touch. You can see. Read it. That'll remind you, refresh you. And restore you. So as we looked at living by the Spirit, Paul sets up this dichotomy. The works of the flesh, which are many, and the fruit of the Spirit, is just one, with multifacets. Our challenge is to reject the works of the flesh and encourage the fruit of the Spirit. We have the law to help us. We know we're supposed to crucify the old man again we don't because he's still here but we need to keep trying keep trying to crucify that old man and let's live in the spirit allowing the spirit through us to produce more love more joy more peace more patience more kindness more goodness more faithfulness more meekness more self-control and to help you along the way and to help me along the way have his word on it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for another opportunity to be together, to sing your praise, to encourage one another with our presence, to hear your word. Now, Father, you're sending us out where the wolves are. Protect us. Help us to share Christ with them and be glorified in all we do and say, help us to truly crucify the flesh. Thank you for giving us your spirit. Thank you for giving us your word. In Jesus' name, amen.